Hello and welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast. I'm your host, Matt Vaughn. Thank you once again for joining me this week. And uh, each week we have a different co-host on. And today I am thrilled to jo- have my buddy Brian Campbell join me today. How you doing, Brian? Wonderful, Matt. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I have to point out that you're you're neither the NHL player, the former NHL player, nor the CBS reporter, Brian Campbell. Yes, exactly. Not, neither of those things are... Yeah. Family Cup, which I know a lot of people can't say. So, it's yeah, that's true. There you go. So, yeah, you're a different guy. So, Brian, a friend since, uh, well, I went to elementary school, junior high, high school, and university with you. So, you're one of kind of my oldest friends, yeah. I would say. And probably one of the tightest wrestling friends, I would also say. With that. Oh, I'd have to say. Yeah. And, you know, actually, so one thing I, what I, I asked, um, when I asked the uh, guests here, guest co hosts with me, um, is uh, when, when did you get first into wrestling as a thing? That's a tough one. It's it's hard to kind of pinpoint because you get into it as a kid. I have memories of like the summer of 96, kind of the, the Undertaker-Mankind yeah. feud sort of sticks out in my oh, mind yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I was just um, talking to their brothers about how much Mankind freaked us out when we were yeah, young. Mankind was, was crazy. So that's kind of like my earliest memories. But in terms of watching week to week, I would put it at like late 97, like Hard Foundation, maybe SummerSlam 97 era. Right, uh, and then right. really into WCW that fall as well as yeah, WWF. Yes. You're gonna, I, I think, go from there. Yeah, I think you're gonna bring a lot of WCW to this, which I think is beautiful and something I really value about your your kind of where you occupy on the wrestling kaleidoscope. You're in that area there, the WCW, and we will. I mean, we're gonna try to bring as much Ice Train and um, <laughs> uh, who else? Ice. Todd Champion. Who else? Other every <laughs> early nineties WCW guy. Big Josh, perhaps. Big Josh, yes, exactly. Before he became a, uh, before he became, before he became a clown. And specifically, okay, so were you watching SmackDown during this time, summer two thousand two or even two thousand three? I was. So, uh, so to speak, I was lapsed from from wrestling fan, and maybe around two thousand one, which I think a lot of people could say. Yeah. Um, but what got me back into the product was the NWO returning, which ended up being, of course, a disastrous run. Right. Um, <laughs> But, but they had but an in impact. February, it's impressive. They did. And in February 2002, I was like, wow, got to get back into this. Um, so I was watching SmackDown at this time uh, on the score here in Canada. Yes, the score. We had like three or four sports networks at a time, which was kind of insane. Mm. Yeah. So it was Super- odd to watch the show without the big ticker on the bottom. I know. I did, that's the thing. I don't. I totally forget that sort of stuff. I'm so glad they keep the ads in like the... Uh, when they would later on, they'll advertise stack or two or whatever. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's true. The, really, the true experience should be there should be a ticker at the bottom, and you should be reading about. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think what a big sports story has. The Detroit Red Wings or something like that. The O2 Wings. They won the cup in O2. Impressive. Well done. Yeah, there we go. I have a command of some early early 2000s hockey stuff, so that's good. Um, yeah, one thing, something I'm realizing, because because uh, you haven't heard the first episode, no one's heard the first episode just yet, except for everybody's listening to this now, but something, I feel like I didn't uh, strongly kind of explain why, in the first episode, why SmackDown is kind of the focus of this, and not just, like, wrestling at this time, and I think, uh, if you listen to the trailer, I kind of make it clear, like, this was the better show, but I think it's also, like, important to get a sense of, like, what Raw was like at the time, I suppose, so, like, I don't know if you watch anything, any recent Raws here, but, like, can you... Kind of like, can you succinctly say, like, why was this better than Raw in summer 2002? Yeah, I can. Um, it came to me watching it, watching this show particularly, the pacing. Yeah. The pacing was great. Like, it opened with a wonderful, like, good 10-minute 10, 10 TV match with 
Cena and Angle, and then it was, bam, into a relevant backstage segment, and then, bam, into another good match. It was just so wonderfully paced, where if you watch Raw at this point, every show was Triple H in the middle of the ring, 15-minute promo to open. There was so much backstage. It just it didn't flow the way this show flowed. Um, right, right. That was one thing I noticed. And also, of course, the work rate was was just phenomenal on this show, I thought. So, I mean, that, oh, that yeah. sticks and they and they almost call it out too which is funny like they obviously we're gonna get into the, the code words for it but like they talk about ruthless aggression but they also just talk about like oh we want smackdown to be like competitive is a is a word mm-hmm. they use all the time mm-hmm. and uh it just sticks out as like like kind of like the okay that's your subtle way of saying we're actually gonna wrestle here it's and it's funny to see that yeah. like spoken aloud like spoken almost as like the text of the wrestling show to be like no no we're really gonna do that yeah i think at one point um I think it was Benoit or Eddie was like, we came here for the best competition and like essentially yes. burying Raw, which they were just on two weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. It's like he just didn't you just have like a really good match against RVD where you won the title? It's like, no, yeah. that's it. We're, we're done. That wasn't competition. Uh, yeah. So. So, uh, OK, we're going to talk about. Uh, so last week's episode of Smackdown before we get to this week's episode. So last week's episode of Smackdown. Um, Kurt Angle and Hulk Hogan argued about who should face Brock Lesnar next week, which culminated in a match between them that had the Hulkster win by DQ. Um, Jamie Noble also uh, made Nidia make out with Michael Cole in the hopes that she would ta- he would talk about them in a more flattering way. If you haven't seen that segment, it's truly bizarre, um, but actually quite I like I genuinely thought it funny and Jamie Noble is amazing. <laughs> And then finally, uh, Eric Bischoff was on site to witness SmackDown General Manager Stephanie McMahon's big coup, bringing Eddie Guerrero and the new Intercontinental Champion Chris Benoit to SmackDown. Benoit ended up making Rock tap out. He's the world champion. He tapped out to Benoit, cleaning a match. He did it directly in front of his upcoming SummerSlam opponent, Brock Lesnar. And before, again, before we get to this week's episode, we're going to do a segment called Meanwhile on Velocity. And so we are talking about Velocity. This is the... uh, I, don't, I guess the secondary show for SmackDown, uh, Raw had Heat, SmackDown had Velocity, which I, I enjoyed. I used to watch Velocity pretty consistently, I think. I was yeah. like a frequent, like, yeah. t- 12 o'clock on, I don't know what it was. It was like 12.30. It was like a late show. It was usually Velocity yeah. and then Confidential when they did that. For, confidential, yeah. 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 So on Velocity, uh, we had Chavo Guerrero defeat Tajiri. Uh, he... <laughs> He beat him by disqualification because he did green miss directly in front of a ref. I don't think that's that common a finish, honestly. No. Um, yeah. Only but, Japanese people. Yeah. He, he, but he did it and he didn't trick anybody. He just got disqualified for trying it. Um, <laughs> the great Rico defeats uh, Funaki with a spinning roundhouse kick. Again, all, all Rico ever did was just kick people. That's like he was apparently a pretty good worker, but he just kicked people. Um, Bull Buchanan continued his velocity winning streak by defeating Mike Awesome with a top rope leg drop, which has always looked good when Bull Buchanan does it, in all fairness. But Mike Awesome is just just losing on velocity like he's no big deal, like he never mattered. Ever. What's, that, what's that all about? I'm a huge Mike Awesome mark from his ECW and even his WCW run. And to hear that he's jobbing to Bull Buchanan on velocity really hurts my heart. Yeah, it was it was not close. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. And then um, for the, this is I, I can't believe I'm saying this. The main event of Velocity, Hardcore Holly defeated Albert for the second straight week. Uh, and this time, it was a pushing match with the referee that led to a roll-up. So they did kind of that heel spot of Albert pushes the ref, the rush pushes Albert. He does a uh, he gets uh, rolled up, and the ref counts three very quickly, which uh, I think they're... roll-up finish. Yeah, they re- they're, they're re- I think they reflex very poorly on the referee. Can I just say that? So. <laughs> was it Nick Patrick? It was, I think it was Kyoto. I would have to go back and check. If, if anybody wants to watch old velocities, they are on YouTube largely. I think WWE just started adding them to the network. Um, I think this is where this is the part where I'm just going to say that 
what they add to the network and why is kind of insane to me. And uh, Brian, you and I have talked about this before, um, but not on air because we haven't talked about anything before on air. Um, and I don't like WWE Network. If any of you is listening, any of you are listening, I just want to kind of I want to give you what you should do with your network stuff. Obviously, do all the new stuff you want. Sure, go for it. Make all the compilations you want. That's fine. But here's what you do. Order all your shows you've ever done, like WWE, in order of what was most important. So, okay, Raw is first, or pay-per-views or something, right? And then just go all the way down that list. And then when you reach a show you haven't fully put on, start putting that on. So, like, Velocity would be, I don't know, number eight or something like that. Maybe, I don't know, Superstars on there, something like that. But, like, whatever major show has the least stuff on there, just start putting it on. It's fine. Just do the work. And then work your way down. You can include WCW in there if you want to. This is, this is, free, this is a free idea. You can get your interns working today. I promise. It will work. I agree. Yeah. All right. So, velocity. So the reason we, of course, so, something to point out. The reason I bring up velocity is that the show, of course, that velocity happened before the show we're about to talk about today. So the fans who are watching this episode of SmackDown were just recently saw Hardcore Holly just dominate Albert in a match. So just to so be clear, ta- they taped it before SmackDown. Yes. Well, no one would stick around after, right? So they right. would do it wasn't that hard, right? Because the doors open up, you wait half an hour, and then I don't know, four of the match you get four little matches and you know, they get to come out. Michael Cole comes out to whatever song he comes out to and everything like that. Apparently the song that Michael Cole comes out to, like like when it, when there are live shows for wrestling, is like actually pretty good. Is it? <laughs> Which is, yeah, there's like somebody posted it online and was like, This is Michael Cole's song. People were like, This actually kind of slaps. So well, um it's funny to think about that. Well, <laughs> I think Michael Cole coming be so disappointed. That would come with Michael Cole entering the arena. I would like yeah. to think he'd get booed. Yeah, I would hope he. Would. I I would ha- I would happily boo him. So, <laughs> on to this week's episode of SmackDown. It was taped. This is this is SmackDown episode 156 from August. Oh, it was sorry. It was taped August 6, 2002, on the Tuesday. It was aired on the Thursday. That's August 8th. Um, classic thing. Did Brian? Did you ever read the spoilers for SmackDown in between? This was a thing that happened. It's taped on a Tuesday. Oh. On like Wednesday morning, people put the spoilers out, and then you could watch it on Thursday. Unquestionably, like what was it, Raja.com, I yes. think was the site that I would use <laughs> to get those spoilers every Wednesday morning for sure. Yeah, that's a site that I, I can't believe it doesn't like have a legacy on the Internet because that was like my main source of news, wrestling news and, and uh, spoilers. So that was great. Uh, so this show that we're watching tonight or that we, wa- that we watched, uh, it, it was on uh, it was in Richmond, Virginia, and we were at the Richmond Coliseum. So we're kind of in the south, kind of WCW area, I would say. Oh, big time. Big yeah. Time. Big time. And uh, so the TV rating, I did a 2.7, and I'm covering this every time because the question is, did it beat Raw that week? Because sometimes they would beat Raw, and this week they did not beat Raw. Um, that's okay. There, there is still, I, th- I still think it's a good show, but we'll, we'll talk through it first. So, this week's episode of SmackDown, we start with a video package. It's almost like a newsreel. Um, they, try, they really try to go mm. retro here of Hulk Hogan mm. in this tons of video throughout his career, real greatest hits. Um, I'm trying to think of, was there anything surprising in there or not? They have the, that. The one, the one I always think about is he, he comes out and stands with his hands on his hips. I don't know if that's WrestleMania 8 or when that is, but it's very familiar. That's, I Hulk believe Hogan. that's WrestleMania 8. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah WrestleMania 8. So um, it's funny. Now, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I got a couple things to say about this video package. Oh, yes. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I, well, the only other thing is this very, and I'm sure you're going to talk about it. The package points out that Hogan has beaten Savage. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Undertaker, and he shows them beating the Undertaker with just a roll-up, and then Triple H, who I would argue is a bit of an outlier there. Okay, so there's even more to it than that. So what I love about this this whole package is that it it does make Hogan seem like a legend and everything like that. But it's like, it's a video project 
character. Like, it makes him seem old as the hills. Like, yes, it's it almost does. like they're talking about, like, Lou Gotch or something, the way yeah. they're doing it. Uh, so it's like, this is this is the old. Hulk Hogan is the old. Don't don't get that mistaken. Yeah. Um, and what, what you referenced was wonderful. Hogan has, has defeated seemingly invincible opponents, such as Macho Man Randy Savage, Sergeant Slaughter, The Undertaker, and most recently, Triple H. So we had to get Triple H in there. It's a seemingly invincible opponent. I love that. Yeah, exactly. And it, I guess it did happen, I don't know, it would have been April, I guess. And this is August, so sure. But it, like, it could not feel more transparently like Triple H just belongs in this group of people. Although also, I would argue Sergeant Slaughter is also kind of weird in there. I know he made a eventually. Yeah. But come on. When was Sergeant Slaughter considered seemingly invincible? I, I don't recall that. No, you know, he did even when he was a world champion as a, a Iraqi war sympathizer or the or a sympathizer for the Iraqis. He was not a he was not like a dominant force. No, 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 no not at all. Yeah. And then there's the, the package ends with the kind of a but here's Brock Lesnar, which I think is narrated by Taz, if I'm not mistaken. I thought I got heard his voice in there. I think um, so. Yeah, I, I've always I always enjoyed that. I, Taz isn't really a heel commentator, but he is constantly being like, I think Brock Lesnar is great. Like, that's his, just his main thing. <laughs> uh, so then we, we go Taz, from Taz had some good lines tonight, man. He had some good lines. I can't oh, wait yeah. to about. Yeah, uh, the uh, then we then we, we queue up the beautiful people intro, uh, which I really like. And, and we're actually going to change intros partway through the show because they do uh, they do change to a kind of a more hip hop inspired theme in later episodes here. Um, but we're great now. We got beautiful people, and then the fist explodes in Richmond. I don't know if the fist always had pyro exploding out of it. I think maybe I don't know if it's supposed to visually look like the fist just broke through the glass of the set, but that's what's happening here. And uh, and then what is so I do have a task quote right off the hop. He says, I'm personally pumped up for the Hulksta and the next big thing. Mm-hmm. I, just like, I like they call them the Hulksta. Hulksta. There's a lot of and last week they had this too where people call them the Hulkster and it's like is, I don't think that was that do people call them that like a lot I think so not as much as this not as much as on this show but I mean yeah sometimes they call him Hulkster it's like they forgot that he could call him that and they're like oh we gotta call him that constantly now okay <laughs> go for it so we start off with Kurt Angle versus John Cena and uh, Kurt Angle comes down to ringside with purpose he's got his uh, his red white and blue camo singlet which has some pink on it and I don't know if that's intentional or if that's literally from like the wash of red and white together which probably would happen <laughs> I imagine if you wash a singlet and then uh, as far as I could tell it was when John Cena comes out he gets the first crowd sweetened smackdown pop of the night and uh, oh. I, th- I texted you this earlier. I'm going to hear the SmackDown pop when I like the, just the last sound I hear before I die. Man, I, I hated it. I hated the crowd noise in this. Oh. And it was funny because the crowd was was hot. Like this was a it a seemed hot like, crowd. like it just was not necessary to have this canned crowd noise. And you're right. Cena got a ton of it coming out here. Oh, yeah. And, and, and just just a reminder for folks, the SmackDown pop is it's like very no it's a very distinct thing very distinct and so so part somewhere in the match michael cole says isn't it ironic that it was kurt angle who launched john cena's career and it's like okay but it doesn't really make it ironic because they're facing each other again like if this was kurt angle's retirement match and he lost that might be ironic but it's not like it's no irony to the fact that they're just facing each other again that's pretty common in wrestling (laughs) anyway i don't think michael cole knows what ironic means no, he did. Clearly, does not. No. Uh, so Angle knocks down Cena with a sol- shoulder block, and then he. Uh, this is. A, I love this little moment, and this is one of these moments where I just want to 
point out that Kurt Angle is amazing and worthy of being one-sixth of why this podcast is called the SmackDown 6 Podcast. He knocks down Cena with his shoulder block, and then he stands there and bad bounces him briefly, and it's not like... It's all one motion. Like, it's not like he shoulder blocks and then stops and, like, bad mouths him. There's this very um, kind of kinetic connection between I'm ba- I, I hit you with my shoulder and now I'm talking trash about you. It's the same kind of fluid motion. I'm showing you that I hate you in two different ways, but it's all a connected action. Um, and I just love that. It's if, if you didn't notice it, it's such a great detail to Kurt Angle. Great wrestlers do the little things really well, and they add sweet stuff to it. And Kurt Angle is so good at that, which I loved. Uh, Cole, uh, Michael Cole is talking about the match tonight with, uh, Co- that Hulk Hogan is in. He calls it the biggest of Brock Lesnar's career. And I, I don't know. I don't, do you think it's the biggest of Brock Lesnar's career at that point? He just won King of the Ring. He, he mentioned it a few times, uh, throughout the show. It was the biggest match of his career. And I thought about that. And I, I think it probably was at this point. I mean, I have to agree with that. King of the Ring was big, but was, were any of those individual matches, you know, that huge? I don't know. It's Hulk Hogan. So I'll go with Cole on that one. I'll agree. Okay. You don't think that Brock Lesnar versus Test from some Raw in July was, or, or probably June now, was better? He faced Test in the semifinals of that King of the Ring, if you recall, and that that was a big match, but I wouldn't okay. put it up there with Hogan, though. No. Thank you. Okay, I knew there was a reason that it seemed more familiar there. Um, so they go to the floor, and Cena, he, uh, he hits the steps, and he sells, I would just, I, he just sells very comically on the floor. Like, he's just very exaggerated, and I don't know if Cena ever got better at that. I feel like he was always kind of a big seller of things like that. It was a bit of a Lex Luger sell, if anyone's oh, a yeah. WCW watcher. Very, very exaggerated. He didn't do the scream sell that Luger does, but the, the body language is very similar. Oh, uh, so. I, I love Lex Luger's scream sells. People got take take notes, guys. Just, just if you get beat up in wrestling, just scream like I don't know, like just like it's like their fists are made of fire. Just do that. Um, <laughs> Kurt Angle punches in the corner, and I swear I, I would argue Kurt Angle is the best punches since like Bret Hart. They're so good in the corner. Like he's just like I don't know. It's like it's like Kurt watched like six hours of people punching and was like I could do that better, and I think he did. Um, so uh, Kurt stops Cena's offense. He has this great belly to belly, and he snatches him for another one. He does a really good. I don't know what the um, I don't know what the, what's the right word for when he like he doesn't Irish whip them, but he kind of like starts Irish whipping them and just like catches them. What is that? A short arm into a body into a belly to belly. I would say, but I, I had a note about that belly to belly too. It was ridiculous. Perfect overhead belly to belly. Oh my gosh. It looks so backbreaker. good. Everything Angle does so crisp. Like his kicks are great. Um, just so impressive. Everything about yeah. him. I, I love this match. Yeah, no, it was so good. Um, so Angle hits multiple Germans on Cena, but Cena blocks after two of them and he hits a DDT. Taz says that if Angle hit one more German, the match would be over. Um, and I don't really know like where he got that from. I don't think Angle has ever won a match by pinning, pinning somebody after multiple Germans. Uh, maybe they should have like some jobber squash yeah. matches to make that happen. But I, it's, just, it's funny Even to hear him that. just say things. No. Speaking yeah. of Taz, I yes. want to make a I want to up a couple of a Taz things here. Please, yes, um, please. He, the crowd is on Angle pretty hard at some point. I think they're like you, you suck or Angle sucks or something. And oh, yeah. Taz just goes off. How many gold medals has Richmond, Virginia won? Zero. So shut up, people. <laughs> and I looked this up, Matt, because I wanted Please. to know if, oh, if Taz had done his research on that. And I wanted to confirm to you that at the time, there were no Olympic gold medalists from Richmond, Virginia. However, okay. since then, in the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Townley Haas, not Charlie Haas, but Townley Haas, <laughs> won Richmond's first gold medal in the 4 by 200 meter freestyle swimming. So Taz did some research there on Richmond, Virginia. There we go. He would, if he said it 20 years later, he would have been wrong. But at the time, he was bang on. Did you wait? 
maybe young townley was in the crowd and went back on thursday night to hear it and heard taz chide the city for its lack of sports accomplishments and townley said you know what i'm gonna go to rio in 2016 and someone said uh they don't think they've picked Rio yet. Or you want to put money on that? Like, oh, I bet it's going to be in Rio. Anyway, good for Townley. <laughs> he did um, it. He did it. He did. Is, is it a he? I don't, when I hear Townley, I don't know if it's a man or a woman. Yeah, it's a he. It's a he. He. Okay. he proved Taz wrong. There we go. Um, okay, so Cena, he rolls uh, to counter an ankle lock, which I feel like shouldn't be that easy. Like, I feel like angle should be like holding your ankles tighter. If I see people roll through things. I'm just like, I don't think he had that really cinched in too much. Um. And then uh, Angle flips out of a protoplex, the, the kind of the John Cena spinning thing that he would do as an initial uh, finisher. And he ends up getting drop kicked off the apron, hitting his heads on the steps. And it's pretty obvious that it's headed towards a count out at that point. Mm-hmm. Like it's like it's pretty much telegraphed to be like, this will be a count out loss for Kurt Angle. It's kind of the whole point of it. And then, oh, oh, oh but wait, because Chris Benoit suddenly runs in and he hits Cena with a crossface for some reason. And then Rey Mysterio runs in to save John Cena. But then Eddie Guerrero sneaks in to hit Ray with a backbreaker. But then Edge runs in to hit Eddie Guerrero with a one of his I, I I call them a bad half Nelson Bulldog thing. He would do that all the time. I don't know what that move is. Anyway, he did one of those and he speared Angle on the apron. What did you think of this this conclusion of this match? Essentially being the most obvious, this is going to be a six man tag match ever. You know what? I didn't find it to be that obvious, but I loved the finish because, like you said, it was set up for the the count out. You know. Um, and then we have the the interference, or at the end, and it's like, wow, okay, Ben was out. Oh, then it's Guerrero. Then it's Mysterio. Then Edge. It was just like rapid fire. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting that in the moment, um, and I wasn't prepared for the six man tag because I was thinking, oh, Angle and Cena already had a match. Maybe a six man tag next week. Um, That's true. No, That's I, true. I loved it. I loved. I love I love thinking about it that way too. I mean, part of it is I have a general sense of what happens in these shows, so I don't take into account like, oh yeah, what if you just had a pure experience of watching it too? So, no, that's awesome. But yeah, so there's so everybody, yeah, everybody runs out. Seemingly they're all waiting, kind of as, as backstage as close as they can to go do that. So, um, after the match, I think uh, Michael Cole calls the babyfaces young guns, and I think he said that the week before as well. And I kind of feared that might have been something they were like trying to do, like literally be like, oh, here's a new stable called the Young Guns, which I could see sort of happening. Um, but I just, I was, I was afraid by Michael Cole using that so clearly. Uh, and then so we, we go to, uh, an interview backstage with Ben Juan Guerrero and they're asked, what, what, you know, why'd you leave raw? And so Guerrero talks up, uh, how Ben Juan makes guys tap out. And then Kurt Angle interrupts to say he is in fact the master of submissions. So Ben Juan says at Angle, uh, he's like, yeah, you're going to get counted out, which Kurt disputes, uh, although I would argue was pretty obviously that, that was going to be what happened. And yeah, they talk about SmackDown's commitment to competition, uh, and which I, you know, I kind of say this the the kayfabe word for work rate. So essentially, yeah, in the world of SmackDown, where as though it is a real place of competition, that that is essentially meaning these people have good matches, which is how I took that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Eddie, I, and so yeah, I love Dangle here, Matt. He was hilarious on oh, this so whole good. show, especially here, uh, mocking Eddie. Peep this, Holmes. Yes. Um, and he, just, he calling people pal, just something about that, like Kurt Angle calling calling other wrestlers pal, uh, yeah. really got me. This this whole thing was hilarious. Yeah, the fa- I mean the fact that Kurt Angle is such a good wrestler, and then he comes backstage and he's just like he is such high performance. It's so it can be so comedic. It's so like it's truly so goofy. Yes, pal is good. I mean, gosh, he 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 also is just really good at being like as like being a guy who's kind of being put off by people. Like, he's just like, I can't believe you wouldn't say I'm literally the greatest person who's ever lived. 
and he just has a, such <laughs> such a great energy flow, which I love. Um, so Eddie says he kind of he disputes that the three baby faces are the future of SmackDown. He says that you know these three guys, the three of them, are the future of SmackDown. And so he proposes they have a six man tag match later. I guess it's just kind of like in a conversation. He's just kind of like we should have a six man later. Later, mm-hmm. he doesn't say like let's go knock on. Uh, Stephanie McMahon's door or anything like that. Um, I figure if this is a real workplace that Stephanie would be like, well, you know, Kurt and John Cena have already wrestled, so it would make sense. But anyway, that's <laughs> fine. So Matt, next up. the backstage interviewer? Okay. I, 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 have, I have no idea. I don't know who he is. I can't think of who, Like, obviously, he's a person who exists. I couldn't think of his name. It's also one of those things that if you Google, like, SmackDown backstage interviewer, I think you would just get, like, 15 names of, like, uh, Richard Glinken. And, like, you just get, like, 15, like, generic like, little white guy names. So I don't know what this guy's name is. And at some point they're going to, inter- I don't know why he doesn't have a little um, Chiron. He should just have his name and be like, Hey, I'm Richard Jefferson or something. But now I don't know who he is. He shows up a lot though. He's like, he's, he's doing the work. He's investigating back there. Which I appreciate. Totally. So, yeah. So we go into a uh, uh, second match of the evening is Reverend Devon versus Mark Henry. Boy, and, oh boy. So Reverend Devon comes out with Batista. We flash back to last week when Batista dropped Rikishi in a very, very good spine buster. And once again, I think I said this last week, uh, Devon is in a full suit and tie. And yet he's the one who's going to be wrestling and Batista's in just tights. It's one of the weirdest, like, yes. it's like, it could not be clear that it looks like Batista is being managed by River Devon. And it is absolutely not the case. <laughs> that was weird. my exact point. Devon looked like the manager here. And I was thinking, why is Batista in his tights? Like, is he going to wrestle later? Like, and lo and behold, yeah. uh, you'll get to it. But it's just a weird dynamic, those two coming out. Yes, and I don't know. Yeah, I, should they give? Have, should they have given Batista like a shirt, maybe, or like, is there something they could have done, like some track pants or something? Keep the sh- keep the the torso exposed and jacked. Yeah, something like that. Something like that could work. So uh, Michael Cole says last week on SmackDown, Mark Henry showed why he is the world's strongest man um, because he took the fight to Brock Lesnar. And I just want to say, hey, Michael Cole, that's not how you determine strength. It's not. No. No, that's not. It just means he took the fight to. We could say it hard, but it's not strength. It's very silly. So uh, at one point, Mark Henry does this kind of a I don't know, like a hip drop to Mark Devon on the ropes, but he like leaps through and lands on the floor. So it looks like extra painful, which I thought was pretty cool. Because just because Mark, like, if getting hit by so much of Mark Henry's force would be like a lot to deal with, and so for mm. it to like for him to leap all the way through is like pretty crazy looking, which I enjoyed. Um. Taz cites the fact that uh, Mark Henry can dunk a basketball, saying that's impressive, which I guess is it, it's one of those funny things to say because it's like it's impressive. But like Mark Henry's wrestling has never shown that kind of impressiveness. It's not like you, you're you like, oh, yeah, I totally get I totally see in his in-ring performance. He could totally dunk a basketball. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's supposed to say about him. Like he's athletic and that's surprising. Like I always assumed he would be able to dunk a basketball somehow. I, I don't know. Maybe because he's big. Yeah, I, I don't really like, get that. Yeah, you're, I guess you're like, you're like, maybe maybe the thought is like, oh, you're like a muscle, you're like, a, if you're the world's strongest man, you're like a bodybuilder, which is not typically true, because if you see like the Olympic, uh, like bench pressing stuff like that, they're always like, I don't know, they're like thick guys, but like they're not like cut. They have like the only the muscles you need to like lift things, which is like Mark Henry is not jacked. He is just enormous. Mm. Um, I, And I get it's a choice, but I want to say Devon's white shoes are bad. I know they're Terrible. like sticking, but they're like super noticeable. And it's like, I guess you want to make maybe have the white of the shoe pop with the white of the collar to be like, look at this reverend Devon. He'll say testify. Well, Re- Reverend Devon here, I, I haven't been following the SmackDown, so I wasn't sure at what yeah. point. I can shed some light here. It was very clear to me just watching a cold that like they have given up on Reverend Devon. Yes. Like, okay. He is getting 
washed in this match. Batista's getting all the attention. It's like, isn't this guy getting a push at all, or what's happening? I love, I love that you said that because, yeah, you you are a thousand percent right. He, I think he, this is his third match in a row that he loses. Every, it always goes the same way. He faces a distinct mid Carter. He gets fully destroyed, and they beat a guy up afterwards. It's, it's could not be clear. They have, they're giving up on Devon, and they're just like. I don't know. They're just like playing. It's almost like Devon has like eight dates left, and they're like, "Okay, well, we got to fit you in there." That's Get pretty those much cables always... again, Devon. Get back in the Dudley Boys where you belong. You know. Yeah, it's weird to think. Uh, who could have thought that uh, breaking up the Dudley Boys would backfire? <laughs> Shock, shocking development. I gotta say that. Uh, there's a uh, there's a huge back body drop at one point, which I guess it may seem easy, but those like a good back body drop is so cool. And just a huge one where a guy like flies, and it's even like Can this you... is not. Can you do your Vince McMahon when you say that on the back ah! right now? Is that close? There you go. I loved it. Oh, Perfect. It's so good. Yeah. It's also impressive just because like these guys are not like that athletic to me. Um, okay. So there's one detail of this match I really I really loved. And I don't know if you caught it because it's a very specific thing. So at one point, Mark Henry has Devon kind of like, I don't think he picks him up like on his shoulders or something like that. And then so Batista, who's kind of in the foreground kind of lurking, he starts to kind of like get onto the apron, like half on the apron, like grabs a rope, like essentially to be like, okay, if he's actually going to get him up there, I should interrupt and like save him. But Devon ends mm-hmm. up reversing it. So Batista kind of like kind of cowers down from it. But I just love the idea that like Batista's in there being like, okay, I have to, where do I strike? What do I have to do? Not just like standing around looking menacing and then coming in when he's supposed to. He's like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to act here. I'm going to get in on this, which I enjoyed. Yeah, I did catch that. That was interesting. Yeah. Details, guys. Details in wrestling matter. They really do. And yes, okay. So again, Devon loses to a mid-card wrestler and Batista attacks after the match. Uh, Batista and Devon, they double-team Mark Henry. But then the resident SmackDown upper mid-card or Rikishi shows up to save Mark Henry. <laughs> and I feel like like from these early shows, I have to say, I feel like SmackDown is supposed to make us think that Rikishi is like, this is a guy who would have a mid-card belt if he was there was one on SmackDown. Like He has such a firm place as like, here's a guy you're never going to buy him as a main eventer, but he is firmly in the mid card. He's going to kind of hold that down. We believe in him. A couple of things about that. They, they did try him as a main eventer quite extensively a couple of years earlier. So they learned their lesson by this point. It is um, true. But I think you're right. He is like a prototypical, like European champion style uh, wrestler at this point. I think you're like Europeans a good, is a good descriptor too. Like he's more like, he's more of like a strong TV champion, even the, to, to go back to your WCW ways. Like he's not a U.S. champion. He's not an intercontinental no. champion. Oh, he might, I think no. he probably was maybe either one or both of those at some point. Probably. He's probably an intercontinental oh. champion, right? Is that safe to say? Can I say that on a podcast? I, he's, been, he's been a tag champion. I can, I can know that as a fact, but right. as far as the intercontinental champion, I have to assume. I think yeah. that's a safe assumption. Safe to, safe to say. And then, uh, so Rikishi gets on the microphone. He challenges Devon to let Batista fight him. And then I wrote, <laughs> then I wrote, uh, Rikishi versus Batista, I guess, is the next match. It just, ha- which just happens. Yes, it just takes place. It's like, okay, I guess that's, I guess you can do that. Uh, the, the most important thing in this match really is that Michael Cole relays that the six-man tag match is confirmed for tonight. So if you're wondering if they're going to actually deliver on that, yes, they will. There will be a six-man tag later. Um, Batista gets some really good big man moves on Rikishi, which I like. There's a really nice full Nelson slam that he does, which I thought was just great. Batista's great. I think it's not uh, shocking to say now, but in 2002, he still looked quite good. Incredible. Yeah. This is this is where I noticed that Rikishi is wearing a, a back dad ass up shirt. Um, and I just, mm-hmm. I wonder how many of those he owns and wears. Like, if he just wears those to bed or what? Who would buy that? I, that's, that's one of those first yeah. things is like, who would possibly have owned that shirt? Yeah, because 
Yeah, the, the, the WWE merch does not – they do not ask that question, which seems insane. Like if I was going to go – like I, I fixed the network. I would – yeah, I would go run merch and be like, you know what? What are you doing? Okay, here's an example. They recently released a Cameron Grimes T-shirt for people who don't yes. know. that Cameron Grimes is on NXT. Uh, he's on an up-and-comer. Uh, Cameron Grimes, as, as he Cameron calls. Grimes. Thank you. That was even better than mine. That was way better. And so he has a pretty good one that's like it's brown. It's just it says to the moon on it. And like if you wore it out, I don't think people would be like, is that a wrestling shirt? They'd be like, oh, you get is that a band? Do you like is he a singer? Anyway, so it looks good. Do more shirts like that. Fewer back that ass shirts. Yeah. So shockingly, uh, during this match, Batista mistakenly hits Batista. Sorry, Devon hits Batista. I don't know if I said that right. Shocking finish. Yes, exactly. And then Rikishi hits Batista with a super kick and pins him, uh, which is hilarious in retrospect. I love seeing these great main adventures get just destroyed by Rikishi. It's so funny. I love yeah. I wanna yeah, I wanna go back and watch like Randy Orton lose to like Crash Holly or something like that. But that super kick looked great, man. I it love did. that Rikishi super kick. Rikishi's really had did have a really good super kick. Like like Rikishi was not a bad worker. I want to make that clear. I I'm not saying I want him as a main eventer, but like, yeah, solid super kick or savat kick. I don't know which it would be, technically speaking. I bet Eric Bischoff could tell me. Yeah, it's more of a savat kick. You're right. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, when Rikishi is announced, Bischoff would call the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he would call it whatever, whatever freaking he made Tony Schiavone say a thousand times in uh, (laughs) late 90s. And then Rikishi is announced as the winner. And once again, there's an incredibly obvious SmackDown pop. I, I don't know. They just don't. The crowd does not actually care, but we're supposed to think they care for sure. And then there's the inevitable so, conflict after the match with Devon and Batista. Yes. If I can just um, come in with a couple of uh, bizarre Taz diatribes, I Please. guess, during this match. Yes, this is crazy. He's, he's talking about, um, you know, knowing what Rikishi's going to do next. And Michael Cole goes, well, you really got the M.O. of these guys. You should be a detective. And Taz goes, yeah, like Dick Tracy, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I don't know what you mean at all, is, is um, but joke? thanks for that. Yeah, I'm not really sure why he would go with Dick Tracy, but sure. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then at another point, like when um, Batista accepted the challenge of Rikishi, Michael Cole goes, wow, guts by Rikishi to make that challenge, and even bigger guts by Batista to accept it. And then Taz says, I think Batista's got the bigger gut. What? Did he mean, did he mean Rikishi? I don't understand this. Or was he just saying he's just like a tougher guy in general? I mean, yeah, I mean, to use gut and talk about those two guys, I mean, there's only one guy who has a real gut. I mean, I know that it's the metaphysical gut or whatever. He was metaphorical more so, but oh my gosh, I love it. This is good. I, I'm so glad that you're hitting on these these great Taz quotes. Mystifying commentary by Taz at times. Oh, that's so good. So after the match, Brock Lesnar walks backstage and Heyman is following him. He's asking, him, hey, where are you going? And Lesnar says he's going to Hogan's locker room to see if he really wants the match, which is such a funny thing. <laughs> such a funny thing to like say, like, <laughs> I want to know if he really wants. He's like, he earned it last week. He told it last. He said it last week on television. Um, you know, Hulk Hogan generally doesn't back down from a fight. I don't know where Brock has been for the last 25 years. I mean, he's when you're a kid, he was Does doing he this stuff. wrestling ever? Yeah, I would just say that that's not like... It's a, it's just it's funny that it's like it's a generic like tough guy thing to say like hey does he still want this it's like yeah sure like you don't rest I don't need wrestling to tell me like the most basic elemental like hey I'm a tough guy I I do like hey hey I think it's a bad idea so Brock yeah Brock finds Hulkster's locker room uh, and he questions he says is this what Hogan wants and Hogan says you're young which I enjoyed 
Uh, and then he challenges Brock to do so. Okay, here's something that maybe this may be absolutely crazy last week. So last week, Hogan and Kurt Angle both want to face Brock Lesnar. They end up having a match, which was essentially a number one contenders match to see who would face Brock Lesnar the next week. But at no point during that conversation or, or in that, that whole, the multiple segments of that set up for that match and the match itself, at no point did they say, this person is going to face Brock Lesnar next week and challenge him for his number one contendership at SummerSlam. It does not come up. It's not part of that show. The only motivation for those guys is I want to face Brock Lesnar. And I think that's, it was, it was insane. And now I'm looking at it and then Hogan just like kind of decides spontaneously like, oh, let, let me put that up for, on, on the line. And I was like, how is this not the plan the whole time? This is insane. Yeah, they definitely presented it like it was just something that Hogan did to play mind games with Brock or he took Brock for a loop or whatever. But uh, I think you're right. Like, why was that not the plan all the time? Why would you just want to face Brock for no reason the next week? Yeah, here's what you do. So there was a segment last week where Brock Lesnar's walking around backstage. He's challenging Kurt. He's challenging Hogan. Here's what you do. You take 30 seconds. And all you do is at both times that Hogan or that Brock talks to either of those guys, he says, by the way, if you need more reason to want to face me next week, I'm putting my my uh, number one contendership at SummerSlam on the line. Boom. Then it's you care more about who wins. You care more about the, the match that happens. We ended up seeing tonight. Like anyway, 30 second fix. Don't know why that happened. Anyway, so afterwards, Paul Heyman is worked up. He says, what are you doing? You got suckered, he says. And Brock says, are you losing confidence in me? Which Taz caps off with, I can't believe this. Which is a freaking <laughs> He's going to say that a lot. <laughs> and then, okay, this was so weird to me. And I guess this is just what's going to happen here on SmackDown. Suddenly, at the end of that scene, there's just screaming. And then Nidia and Tori are fighting backstage. Oh. And Tori is, I would argue, inexplicably just in her underwear. Yeah, <laughs> so what was going on with that? For no reason, Tori is in like an un- unbuttoned, or not buttoned, but like untied robe like falling off and in her underwear, just walking around backstage. What is a possible explanation for that? Yeah. No. There's no, at no point does somebody say like, oh, Nydia was talking trash about her or anything like that. It's like, no, just at the end of a Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman conversation, it's just going to be uh, Nydia and, and Tori uh, somewhat undressed. Anyway, the only solace, I guess, is that comes up later, sort of. So this is not completely detached from reality, but totally bizarre segment. And just, just reminding you fully, like, hey, here's, like, neon sign saying, this was 2002. We still think it's the Attitude Era. We still need you to, like, expect to see some, like, skin on the show. Please watch this. There will be women. 100%. So that is followed inevitably by – what the only thing that could follow that, of course, is Billy and Chuck with Rico versus Hurricane and Shannon Moore. But um, before this, Matt, we get yes, a look please. at Michael Cole and Taz. And they yes. do, like, a little, little promo. Michael Cole is wearing a yes. completely unbuttoned dress shirt yeah. with what looks like a white T-shirt underneath. He's very he, casually dressed. He looks like 2002 in a yeah. person. And Taz is like pretty, as I recall, he's pretty like, he's got like his suit is all set up well. Like he's got the, the tie is nice on and everything's pretty crisp. He's got his glasses. But Michael yeah. Cole looks like he's just like, Michael Cole looks like he just got off work. Like, you're at, you're at work, <laughs> man. He does. <laughs> As somebody who like famously now like gave people grief for not dressing up enough for WrestleMania, like the fact that he's at SmackDown essentially in like just his boxers is bizarre. He's not he's not just his boxers, but he's he he's be. weirdly like he he honestly looks like a dad who just got off work and he's like, Hey, I don't I don't want to wear the button up shirt buttoned up to the table. So that's Michael Cole for you there. Uh and so okay, I'm watching the hurricane here. Here's my question. Would the hurricane work better today? Um, or is it only funny when superheroes aren't that common, right? Because like superheroes are huge now compared to 2002. 
Uh, I think it would work better as a straight gimmick today. Like if he was actually like a superhero, maybe. Um, but I think he worked better back then. I, I yeah. loved him back. It is a little bit. It's like a bit goofier, and I think people were like more ready for like goofy, like almost like the Batman of the '90s kind of stuff, which that was good. Um, so at this point, uh, Taz points out that Shannon Moore, this is his debut on SmackDown, even though uh, he is a Velocity Great. mainstay. And essentially, you know, stays on Velocity for like he's not. I mean, he's on SmackDown. He shows up, but he's he's I find him more of a Velocity wrestler. And then, OK, good. Here we go. Cole relays has been another match signed for tonight. Nydia and no- Jamie Noble against Tori and Billy Kidman. Um, sure. Sure. That match is fine. Why not? Exciting. Yeah. Great. They've- Let's do it. They fought backstage. I love Cole is just breaking news here. It was during the matches. He's just laying laying things out. It's great. It's like a, I imagine, I, I imagine Stephanie backstage like just furiously signing these matches. Like, okay, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do a mixed tag team match. Like, I don't know how how do they figure out? Well, it, I guess I'm. It's also hilarious even just to think about like. So what did what did Stephanie have for half the show? Because, like, between that right. match and the six-man, it's like, you, you had to fill it uh, two hours. Like, I don't want to tell you to do your job, but, like, where, did you think that, Ricky, that, that Billy and Chuck versus uh, Hurricane and Shannon Moore would be, like, a 40-minute <laughs> Broadway? Like, what do you think was going to happen here? Or did somebody get bumped? Like, somebody else had a match, like, all right. lined up. They're excited to get out there on SmackDown. Ah, uh, sorry, we got a backstage fight, so we're going to do a mixed tag with those people. Uh, you're cut. Right. Well, maybe that's maybe that I think let's canonically just assume that's what velocity is, right? Like Albert and uh, Harker Holly are ready for their match. They go, I'm sorry, but there was uh, there was 10 seconds there where uh, Nydia was fighting with Tori. So we're going to have to give them the whole spot. So and they have to get bumped and do the velocity thing. Poor guys. Anyway, so uh, anyway. I have to say watching this Shannon Moore is too small. I'm sorry. He's, he's talented for sure. Wow. But he, he's just a, he's a tiny human man. And uh, it's just not going to fly. I'm sorry. And they kind of just treat him that way, too. He just gets beat up and small like the entire time he's on their show. Well, it actually doesn't look that strange because in the ring we have Billy Gunn, who they mention <laughs> right. is 6'5", 270, which as those of us who watch AEW now, he's right. Billy Gunn is still actively working. And Correct. he is a giant in AEW. So seeing him work with Shannon Moore was very like, oh, OK, this, this seems natural. This is very AEW. Very 2020 kind of thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah, he if if you're if you're like me and you never thought of Billy Gunn as like a big man, like you have to change your mind because he's actually legitimately like he if you met him, he would be like one of the tallest, most physically impressive people you ever meet. He's just in wrestling where everybody's huge, which is crazy. So the hurricane tries for a double choke slam, which I've always enjoyed. It's so goofy, but it's really fun. I love the idea of a wrestler who like tries a move they will never be able to hit. He does eventually get a, a choke slam or two happening, which is funny, but the double one is especially good. Uh, and then Hurricane, he hits Billy Gunn with this really nice neck breaker. He does this like, and I remember watching. I was like, oh yeah, he does that. Like he has this like, he almost floats in the air as he leads up for it. Like it's a very smooth like little neck breaker he does. Yeah, it was good. Um, and then uh, so, uh, and again, my my note here is uh, Chuck should be able to destroy a Shannon Moore. Too small, which is kind of my my kind of Trump esque tweet. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like Chuck Palumbo um, just looks like he's like playing with a kid in there. The one thing that stood out to me in this match was yeah. um, Rico. I thought Rico was phenomenal here. Oh, yeah. Like, I just agree. outside the ring. They kept calling him the stylist Rico. Like, they're really trying to get over that he was, in fact, a stylist. I don't know what's going on with that. It's so funny. Um, but I'll get, I'll get my Taz quote in here, too. Yes. We... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go for it. 
Taz quote is at one point Billy, Chuck, and Rico have a three on one going against I think it's Hurricane or Shannon Moore. And Taz goes, That's how Billy, Chuck, and Rico like it. Three on one. I'm thinking, what are we supposed to take from that? <laughs> it's such a which, like like okay. It's a, it's a gay joke. I get it. Like I like I get that Taz is making a gay joke, but it's like what what scenario are you imagining, Taz? Like what is that? What are you laying out before me as an idea? It's the kind of thing where like it truly is one of those jokes. You're like if you think about it for like five seconds, Taz, you, that does not make any sense. I get you think it's funny because you're in Brooklyn or something, but that's fun. <laughs> oh man, yeah, Rico. I, I I'm noticing the stuff you're pointing out is very very funny to me because it's it's I'm, it's becoming clear to me the things that I can like see bolded on their page, the, the commentators. It's like style. He's the stylist Rico. We have to say that he's the next picks yep. to Ingrock Lesnar. You got to say that. Like, here are the things you have to get over. Here's the things you need people to know that Rico is a stylist that will sell tickets. People need to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Um, Hurricane hits a, a flipping tope taking out Rico, which I thought looked good. And uh, and then Billy and Chuck's tag team finisher is countered into a victory row by Shannon Moore. So Shannon Moore gets the W after Billy and Chuck's tag team finisher is uh is reversed. So big win for Shannon Moore, who I think shouldn't be in the ring at all. And and they call this Shannon Moore's miracle. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, he, he is small. It is a SmackDown debut, but he pinned Chuck Palumbo. Let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. A miracle. Thank exactly. <laughs> this is not this is not like a John Cena almost beating Kurt Angle thing. Yeah, no, it's right. It's no. Chuck Palumbo. We love the guy, but come on. Um and then we go backstage, Ray, Edge, and John Cena are in the locker room, and then a big SmackDown pop for that. Just a real... <laughs> John Cena that. can't get away from those. He was like, he just was like, he was locked in on SmackDown pops. That's all he got. He hear, Again, another person who probably hears that before he goes to bed at night. Um, so, so they talk about their match, and Ray Mysterio says, not to worry about Angle, he's got him. And they look kind of surprised, and I, I would say... This is pretty obviously the first planted seed for SummerSlam 2002. Their their opening match, which is very good, if you haven't seen that, which you you will if you watch along with us. But Ray kind of essentially starts starts building SummerSlam right before our very eyes. Uh, I feel like I need to point out the next segment uh, is sponsored by JVC's Tower of Power Boombox. I had that written down too. The extreme it's, blast of the night. Yes, it's a and I love I just love that there is. A time where you could just buy just an enormous like a speaker that would be like on the size of the desk I'm at right now. It's so big. Uh, and now if you want to buy an expensive speaker, they're like the size of like a bottle of pop, which is yeah. hilarious. You don't get. But of course, you don't get to the tower power. JVC no. is you don't get that energy from it. No. So next we have uh, Paul Heyman. He goes to see Stephanie McMahon. And uh, it's talking about the, the Brock Lesnar Hogan match. And Steph sees this as a win win because, uh, you know, it's okay if Brock ends up losing and there's Hogan Rock too, which I guess makes sense as your general manager. You're like, ah, you know, honestly, this wouldn't bother me if Hogan won. And uh, at the end, Heyman hits, which is supposed to be a diss, I'm, I'm certain. He says, you're, going, you're getting to be more like your father every day. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I, enjoy, I enjoyed that because the kind of the, uh, the through line here is like Stephanie Mann is the general manager, but. She does not like her father. Vince is kind of a bad guy, which I guess we've spent the last, I don't know, four years watching wrestling. That, that would be your impression of Vince as well. Also, Matt, one thing I really like about this, this whole segment yeah. is Stephanie's quote-unquote office. So if we yes. look around in, in this office, there's these weird, like, empty shelves on the walls. And I'm thinking, what are those supposed to be? And like, there's a plant and a couch and the SmackDown logo, and that's the extent of this traveling office. Yeah, that they have. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's always funny in wrestling that there's this idea that like, like, like half of one production truck is just filled with the stuff to make the office. Like as if Stephanie's going around being like, okay, I need six plants everywhere I go. It's like between two ferns. I need that. That's important to me. Um, Logan's got to be there. Like, I feel like I don't know. Like, I'd be curious to see what a professional sports team does, right? Because like general, like, well, you know what? Maybe she just should. She just sort of had like a box or something, right? Because like, if you're if you were an NFL team, like if you oh, go yeah. to a, a road game, you're just like, you know, if you're Robert Kraft in Cowboy Stadium, like you just have a box. Like, so I think it would make more sense if they just. I mean, you'd have to lose a box for that night, but I just think it would make a lot more sense for Stephanie to just be up there watching the show. Wrestling's happening behind her. People are coming to her box. It make more sense to me. There's a free totally. idea for you. Guys. Put it her in the box. That's what I'm saying. This this yeah. cheap office. Yeah, for sure. It's it's yeah. They they don't want you to think too hard about it, but if you think at all about it, it looks terrible. And so next up is I would say I would say next up is is my highlight of the show, which is the six man tag between Edge, John Cena, Ray, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero. I also need to point out, of course, that the uh, this is five of the titular SmackDown six. All we're missing is Chavo, mm-hmm. who I, I recall correctly is. Uh, Hanging out on velocity this week, right? He, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, he wins by disqualification. It's Tajiri. Let's not forget. So, um, so I, I thought of you, Brian, when Edge does his full babyface entrance. Um, we just does. He just runs out and he points to the people and he's smiling and he's he's going, yeah, you want this, yeah. And then he runs out and he, and he gets the ring and he puts one leg on the middle row, one on the, the the bottom one, and he kind of bounces. He's got his big leather, I don't know, pleather, I don't know, jacket. But it's super long. More a trench coat. Trench almost. coat. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And for those for listeners out there, Matt and I have this like kind of running joke about Edge during this period as like basically the 2002 version of like an early 90s white meat baby face, like yeah. just coming out to like a new metal song, like look at my trench coat, I'm so cool, please cheer for me, and like doing this whole act in the entrance way and it's like he was a little bit over but like he just was not not over as over as he thought and it just yeah. came off as kind of desperate yeah he does he does seem like he's like you think i'm the rock two years ago right and it's like no we don't you're really just marcus alexander bagwell from 1992 <laughs> love it gotta throw out the bagwell for you if you're not gonna do it i'll the do bagwell it. i was going to but i thought that might be too wcw for for our potential audience but you yeah. know what he is Marcus Alexander Bagwell of 91, 92, 100%. Yeah. I, at this point, Taz says, um, says to Michael Cole, don't try to be cool, Cole. It's not you. And I just want to say thanks, Taz. I loved it. Well put. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's kind of appropriate to me that, like, even though this is 5, 6 of the, the SmackDown 6, it's kind of appropriate that John Cena is here because he's also important going forward, obviously, for this show, and then becomes way super important after this uh, period of SmackDown. So I appreciate that it's not like some random guy. It's John Cena. And then, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Kurt Angle comes out, and <laughs> I love it because Kurt Angle walks out. He's already bad mouthing people. Like he's he's angry. He's already coming out. He's doing his entrance for the second time. He gets to do his pyro again, which good for him. But he's already like he's already running his mouth, which I appreciate. Um, also, I feel it's important to point out that this huge six man tag match is in the middle of the show, and I get it because the show is like kind of ridiculously loaded with stars, especially compared to today. But like. Just the idea that you have these people in one match and it's the middle of SmackDown. This is not when they think that most people are going to be watching. Reminds me a lot of like, like during the Monday Night Wars um, on old Nitros, they would have a big match at the end of the first hour as the lead into the second hour. And I think that was roughly right. where this was on the show. Of course, there's no competition here, no other wrestling show, but it's just interesting that like they're still kind of booking the show in that Monday Night Wars sort of 
um, you know, segmentation or that fashion. So I found that interesting. I think you're probably, I think you're exactly right. Like there must be, there's like some format sheet for how do you like run a SmackDown and it's just like, oh yeah, end of the first era has to be really strong. And no one, no one in 2002 is like, do we have, are we like, are we, are we competing with like Felicity or something like what? Or like, I guess we're like, or, or well, I guess I think we're probably the NBC's comedy stuff. Like, are we, are we beating friends here guys? Like, is that the goal? Is that what we're trying to do? Are we trying to like, I don't know, it was ER on Thursdays. I'm kind of showing that I don't know enough about NBC's Thursday night lineup in 2002, but like, I don't know what they're thinking. I feel like that's what Vince thinks, though. Like he thinks at that point, our competition is is uh, prime time television on network. So at top of the hour, people could switch the channels. We got to make sure we got something hot. Like, I mean, that's, my that's not it, the more you talk about, it, the more I'm like, well, that's not wrong, right? Like, I mean, to some like on some level, if this like I don't remember when what time of night SmackDown was on, but like, yeah, you would like you could potentially channel flip, but not when there's a big six man tag match coming up. No, that's gonna keep your interest. Yeah. Uh, Benoit and Guerrero come out together, and I don't know if they, like, it's interesting they come out at the same time, like, they don't give Guerrero his entrance, I guess they want to conserve time, but I was wondering if they wanted them to be, like, a tag team as well, like, Chavo's not around, I don't know if he's in the cards right now, or if this is intentional or not, but, well, for the second we could I think together. they're trying to get that, because later Taz says that Benoit and Guerrero are best friends. Right. Okay. So that's definitely what they're doing. There, there is some angle stuff that happens here that I think is really curious and interesting. Um, Ray Mysterio comes out. He has this really, I honestly think it's great. He has this great black, purple, and gold mask on. And as it fits his outfit, it's a very cool color like scheme. Uh, very nice for August there. Almost Halloween y, but it looks really good. So uh, we go to commercial and we come back. Angle and Edge are starting us off. And, uh, and, then, and then there's this nice little section here with Benoit and Ray. Did Benoit and Ray Mysterio ever have like a proper feud? Not in WCW, to my knowledge. I'm not, I'm not sure about WWE, but one doesn't come to mind. Yeah, I mean, they, they sell so well, and just Benoit just, like, rips Ray out of the sky and slams him. Like, he just seems like he's, like, picking him out and just dropping him furiously. It's great. Um, at one point, they they, uh, they call Eddie Guerrero fiery. And I don't know, is that, mm. is that kind of racist to call him fiery? Like, I feel like if there was, like, a Latino woman who you call fiery, people would be like, ah, you're kind of, kind of hitting the obvious notes there, guys. So, Eddie, it just seems like they're kind of like, I don't know. I feel like you. I feel like in just yeah. twenty, you don't call the Latino guy fiery per se. Not that. Not that's that one of those things that I don't think you'd even it would even register in two thousand two. But in twenty twenty, it's kind of towing the line a little bit. You're right. Yeah, you're just kind of yeah. Like you're 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 not doing the old like quesadilla jokes that uh, Venturi used to do, but still, it seems close. Chico so, Santana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, different different time, uh, and you can we can enjoy it for being insane. Um, and then so Ray and Eddie Guerrero have a couple of great moments, including this kind of this great off the ropes leg scissors. But it's kind of to be expected. You know, we know that Eddie and Ray have done some great stuff. Um, yeah, this is this is the point of the match where I thought I, I just said, you know, I feel like Cena has never gotten less goofy as a wrestler. Like his actions are still pretty exaggerated. I'm not saying it's a lack of growth, but I feel like he always kind of was there. <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah. And so, so seen as there, he's playing kind of your baby face in peril to kind of to steal a phrase, I think from Scott Keith or something like that. The, uh, um, and so Angle's got him in a chin lock, and then and Michael Cole starts to question. He goes, "Is that a choke or is it a chin lock?" He's oh kind of he's really concerned about the possibility that Angle may be trying to choke out uh, John Cena, which is kind of a weird question to ask about. Uh, what I would argue is just like a pretty generic rest hold. Well, Taz goes into a whole thing about I don't know if that's really a choke. I consider that just a tight reverse chin lock. He goes on for like a good minute talking about it. It's just kind of yeah. painful. 
Cole's like, I'll, okay, fine, I'll serve you this up, Taz, so you can argue, so you can explain the, the, the minutiae here. Uh, and then, uh, so Benoit hits his perfect falling back supas on, uh, on, on John Cena. It looks so good. It was always so great. Just kind of, like, it's not, he doesn't fall backwards. He, like, drops downward, and it's so great. Um, it's also, this is also to the point during the match where I thought, you know, in theory, it really wouldn't be that hard to like triple team a guy and like tag out frequently and just like, just beat him quickly. Like if you had to do this in real life, it would just be like, Pete him in the corner, slam, suplex, tag in, you know, another guy and just like, just do that until he's dead. <laughs> like it wouldn't be hard. Yeah. The, the corner's pretty, you can isolate it pretty well. Uh, so Eddie goes up for a frog splash, but Rey Mysterio interrupts. So Cena runs up for a, a second rope superplex. And I, I do feel like I need to point out the second rope superplex because second rope ones are like, I don't know, 50% as good as top rope ones. They're like I'd objectively say 25%, not. man. Yeah, I think I you're right. Mean. It's pretty close to a regular suplex, ultimately. It, <laughs> this is what happened. it is. And then, uh, so Edge starts handing out spears, but uh, then Benoit hits him with a German suplex. Mysterio interrupts. He gets this kind of this stalling brain buster, which I thought looked great. Okay, um, so we had a conversation, Matt, the other night about... Thank you. You asked me, I think, about a move that looks bad or often looks bad when people yes. do it. I said the brain buster. And we talked about who does a good brain buster. We couldn't think of anybody. Well, watching this match, you know who does a great brain buster? Eddie Guerrero, because that yeah. looked incredible. Yeah, it stalls enough to be like, oh, it seems like it's the blood rushing your head. And he's like, oh, and he drops him on his head pretty well. Or like, it's, it's just a really good... Little drive drive down there, which is great. Hey, uh, indie wrestlers from 15 years ago, you want to do a good brain buster? Watch Eddie Guerrero matches, please, because that's all I want. That's that's all they did. Indie wrestlers just say brain busters for like 10 years. Um, and this is I I think this is a great finish. I love the finish of this match. So Angle uh, throws out Cena, and he, he kind of he goes to bad mouth him from the second rope, which I think actually looks kind of believable. Like it's not weird that he's there. And he, I mean, considering that we already talked about how Angle is like bad mouthing people all match all, all night, it makes total sense that he's doing this. And as he is in as he is badmouthing him in the second rope, he is, of course, in a perfect position to receive a 619 from Rey Mysterio, and then it gets uh, pinned promptly thereafter. And uh, there we go. A S SummerSlam match is ready. Oh, Matt, he spiked him with that West Coast pop. Just looked amazing. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of those Hurricane Rana-type moves, Scott Steiner is the number one tier for that, sure. in my opinion. And then Rey yeah. Mysterio has got to be my number two, because that looked great. He did have a lot, like, he did, like, his snap is really good, and he really does kind of snag you in there. I feel like I've seen a lot of, too many Hurricane Ronas just seem, like, too soft. Like, you're not, like, I want to I want to feel like the guy you got, you really trapped him. You got him around his head, you got him around his legs. Like, you need to make me feel like, like, you, you just caught, a spider caught him in a web. Yeah. So it needs to be good. I, I, the only thing I would say about this match, it kind of, I think it was, like, 10 minutes, like, pretty close to 10 minutes on the nose. I thought it could have been, like, 5 or 10 minutes longer. Um... And I think it's I think it's totally good, but I mean, like, I think it it could have been huge. I think it could have been like, oh my gosh, the best match of the month. Something like hundred percent. Well, I mean, step back and look for a second at what who is in this match. Like you said earlier, yeah. gosh, we got five of the SmackDown six and John Cena and a six man tag. It doesn't get any better than that. They could have gone for thirty minutes, really. Yeah, they. You know, honestly, they should have done a version of this match like every other month. <laughs> they were doing it too, like. Especially because, like, yeah, boom! You you literally only have to book like two thirds of your show, and then the last th third is this like amazing match, which would be great. Uh, and then so Angle is stomping and pouting the ring; he's so good at it. Again, another another aspect of his comedic performance is he can do this physical comedy and really seem like a little little baby of a man. Uh, he gets yeah. interviewed Angle back on this show. He's my MVP. Oh yeah, he's my MVP tonight. Or tonight. Yeah, absolutely. He gets interviewed backstage in disbelief. He goes. <laughs> Here, a line I'm sure stuck out to you too. I just got pinned by a freaking 12 year old, he says. Uh, so Angle is, he, he's totally. 
Yeah. It did. That stuck out to me, but the one that stuck out to me more was that uh, yes. he he was the illegal man, and he's probably an illegal citizen. That yes. Exactly. I also had that too, which again has no reaction. Like, like the crowd does not care about that at all. But today would be like I don't like an absolute nuclear bomb of a heat line to drop on somebody, especially for the wrestlers, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so he has an interesting interesting request here. He wants Ray to come forward and concede that he didn't win the match. He want like that's his request. Is he's like I don't like I don't want to like apologize. I just want you to, like just tell me you didn't win or something. Like, which is like okay, it's a very specific thing. Uh, and then he adds that he's really going to need to know the phrase broken ankle. So he's saying, I'm going to break your ankle. I'll make you tap. And I don't remember what happens at SummerSlam, but he might just do exactly that for all I know. Um, and then, I so so. We, yeah, we, we then we cut to, uh, we're back to the announcers. Taz hypes the movie Triple X, the Vin Diesel movie. I love, I think the week before it was like, Austin Powers and Goldmember comes out tomorrow. And I'm like, wow, I'm really situated in 2002, which I love. Um, Cole adds, he kind of prompts Taz. He says, oh, Asia Argento, she's a real tomato. Which Taz tries to get over is like a lot like his kind of like Jerry Lawler esque way of saying like, hey, what a dame, what a broad, a real tomato. Taz also says that he and Vin Diesel, Vin Diesel went to separate schools together, which I liked. That's a good. <laughs> some of these, some of these seem stole, totally stolen from like a Jerry Lawler kind of thing. I don't hate it. Like that's actually like a funny dumb line. Um, there's like some decent ones in there. Um, so yes, okay. Our highlight of our show is Matt followed pretty quickly by a low light. This is my low light here is Jamie Noble and Nitty versus Kidman and Tori Wilson. Not mine. No, okay, great. I'm looking forward to it later on. This is good. Okay. Um, so during the entrances, there's a sign that just says Nidia scares me, which is a weird I don't know. Nidia doesn't scare me. I mean, she's like kind of trashy and just Nidia. Yeah, you're not scared of Nidia. Nidia does it for me. I I like Nidia a lot. Cole reminds us last week that Nidia gave him, quote, a lap dance, which I saw that episode last week. I would not characterize that as a lap dance. She just made out with you. Okay, I wanted to ask you that. Did that yes. happen? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just just real quick to make sure if you don't remember from last week. So last week, Jamie Noble comes to the ring. He complains about the crowd there. And he says he, then he goes he leaves the ring and he with with Nidia. They walk in front of the announce table and he's like, you guys are so you guys are you don't respect me. I'm cruiserweight champion. You guys don't respect me. And so he then he gets Nidia to climb up onto the announce table and start making out with Adam oh, Adam Cole. <laughs> Sorry, slip of the tongue, Michael Cole, not the former NXT champion Adam Cole, who's great. Uh, yeah, so he starts making out with Michael Cole, and then he he gets her to stop. He says he has to stop because the crowd is perver- or a bunch of perverts, which is hilarious. And, and then he ends by saying like, "Yeah, okay, so Michael Cole, now that she's made out with you, you have to be nicer to me," which is such a power play and such a move and it's just such a weird character trait and i, I really want to know who came up with that idea because it's totally insane and is that going to give him respect is it, is well I, the, the, the idea is he should be able to watch back and then if michael cole's not you know saying hey you know at least i got to make out with your girlfriend then you know i think he's gonna get he has a he has a case to say he's been aggrieved but uh, so yeah we'll have to watch see if he's any nicer um so, of course, this is the part of the show where we find out that uh, the movie Triple X, Subway, and the JVC Tower of Power are our sponsors for the evening. We already heard about two of them, but Subway, also a very classic SmackDown sponsor. Um, so, yeah, okay, Billy Kidman comes out. He has what I described as hilariously random music. Like, it's such an odd show. It's just nothing music to me. And he doesn't enter with Tori either, who I don't know if she's supposed to be his girlfriend in the show at this point or if that's not a thing. Do you remember? That the, like, because they were together in real life, right? Um. Yeah, they were at this point. They were they were heavily featured together in, in WCW. Um, but at this point, I don't think they had an on-screen sort of relationship. I think Tori getting her own entrance was a very clear um, messaging of Tori is the real star here. Pay right. attention. 
yeah, he doesn't get the Rotori, so the Tori can actually stick out, which is fair. Uh, Tori is, seems to be wearing pajamas to the ring. Like, that's the closest thing I could come to. Like, it's not, she's not in wrestling attire at all, and she's not in street clothes. She's essentially wearing pajamas. Yeah. Um, Cole clarifies this is a mixed tag match. It's not intergender, uh, which is a, a difference they would always make in WWE. So the guys fight the guys, the girls fight the girls. Um, and I know this is a thing now. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with this, especially in indie shows. Like, this is a thing that happens all the time is like, People want to see female wrestlers and male wrestlers face off against each other. And I just need to say that that is an, an insane idea to me. Well, Tessa Blanchard was the Impact champion there a while ago, like the, the men's champion. Right. So. Yeah, she had, the, she had the men's title there. And I guess I want to spare, like, specify, like, it's not insane to me because it's like, oh, it's not believable. Like, in all fairness, like, it often isn't believable because, like, half, like, all of these guys could, well, part of it is like, I just don't want to see a man beat up a woman. Like, is that, like, it's not even like a sporting competition. It's just weird. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, it was a big attitude era thing with China getting. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, with yeah. China at least, China at least, like she, she was such a masculine figure that it's like, oh, okay, you can kind of see it almost. Mm. So it's a little bit different. I mean, especially when it's this feminine, where it's like, I don't want to see, I don't see like Nidia like punch Billy Kevin or him get punching her anyway. Um, that's okay. That's not what happens here. Um, <laughs> Uh, Michael Cole highlights this is likely Nidia's first match, which I think would be pretty easy to figure out, right? I mean, she's only been around for like a couple months. Yeah, safe to say. Uh, Kimmy gets the ring. He goes to spank Nidia, uh, which <laughs> sure. He ends up getting Tori to do it. Um, and then uh, I don't know. Do you do you, did you mark down any of Taz's lines here? Because he's really trying to. He's going for the crown yep. here with Jerry Lawler's comments. What's the thing he says? He sure did. He's like, uh, "Ooh, a spanker! I bet you'd like to be doing that." Um, and uh, he goes, uh, Cole, I wish you were doing that spanking with Nydia. And Cole just no-sells both of these lines. <laughs> just goes right back to calling the match, which I appreciate it. <laughs> so great. Um, yeah, Tass is going for it. I want to see if he, if he changes it all during the course of the show. If he, if he ever, like, six months in, it's just like, okay, I don't need to be Jerry Lawler. I don't need my own version of puppies. But seemingly where they want right now. Uh, and then, like, the match is over pretty much instantly. India ends it with, she gets a kind of a school, school girl roll up, if that's the right term for it. And she actually, I gotta say, she actually folds Tori up in a way that, like, looks better than half the roll-ups I've seen. Like, she, like Tori looks genu- genuinely like, oh my gosh, I'm, I, like, my, my feet are by my head. I'm, t- I can't get out of this, which I thought looked good. So go, Nidia, go. Yeah, Nidia was great And then uh, we go backstage, and then Dawn Marie shows up. And she's coming for Stephanie. And she runs into Stacey Keebler. And this is something this is something I, I feel like I need to highlight here. There's a very they, they're doing this weird thing where Stephanie like Stacy Keebler kind of works for Stephanie. Obviously, we see that this plays out kind of differently in this scene. But like Stephanie brings on Stacy Keebler as one of her like employees as like a hey, you were with my dad. You can now you can show kind of um, that you believe that you're kind of with me show loyalty to me. And then Don Marie's also here. So it's like it's Stephanie just like are all the people who work directly for Stephanie just like 28 year old women like. Just a strange choice for to give her like a coterie of women to, who work with her. So well, yeah, this segment was my low light. This okay, whole this thing. Is, this is a very fair low light. I think this these, is very good. These gals, God bless them all. They cannot deliver scripted lines in, no. in any anything close to a convincing fashion. So I just I just tuned this whole thing out. I thought this was garbage. Yeah, <laughs> I think a very a very uh, fair low light. Um, so. What happens? So Stacy Keeler, she seems to intentionally tell Don Marie that, hey, Vince McMahon is actually here. He's at the Marriott here in Richmond. Don't know if there's a Marriott on Richmond, but that's what she says. 
And uh, but she's manipulating her because she takes Don Marie's documents. She has these documents here for Stephanie, and she hides them. Uh, I, we, now we don't know at this point why she's fighting with Don Marie. Like there's no history there, as far as we know. Uh, and Stephanie shows up, and she's incredulous that Don Marie didn't bring these documents. Uh, and that and then I think Stacy also mentions, oh yeah, she's gonna go see your dad too, and she can't believe that. So Stephanie leaves, and then all of a sudden in the background, Eric Bischoff is here. I like he's this part. Yeah, he's working with Stacey Keeble to acquire these documents. He's quite happy, pulls it off, and uh, he gets them, and he looks at them, he's all excited. And I gotta ask, does Stacey think that Stephanie's not gonna find this out? Like, well, that's Steph- strange to me, Matt, because it's like, are we suspending our disbelief where the camera's not there, and Stephanie can't just watch back the episode of her show that she runs and see exactly what happened? Is that, yeah, where, it, is that what we're to think? I would also, like, I would argue, like, if Stephanie's not on camera, I'm presuming she's in a monitor watching the show, right? Like, <laughs> like that would be, that, that would be the job. Like, it's not like, like, especially in her position, like, she would, she seemingly has an unlimited number of divas who can just run around and do stuff on her behalf. So, I don't know why she wouldn't just be, like, hunkered down by a, camera, a monitor and be like, what's happening on my show? You'd think uh, someone would mention it, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, you think it would come up. If I was working for Stephanie, I would be like, hey, you got screwed over by Stacy. it's not great. So... We go to an interview stage uh, segment with uh, Hulk Hogan, and he's, he's he's posing. Hogan makes this joke, you know, Brock Lesnar's 25, I'm 29. Love it. Years. I actually thought that was pretty funny. Like, it's not bad. I think the crowd enjoyed it, too. They're like, ah, I get it. He's not 29, but it's funny. And he says that there's going to be 15,000 Hulkamaniacs who will strengthen him during this time. Now, i got to ask this, Brian. Richmond, Virginia, in, like, let's say yeah. 1994, would that have been Hogan country? No, not no. even close. He moved out of the building. Yeah, um, like like routine. That was a thing, right? On old WCW, that like Hulk Hogan like wasn't even around some of those places, right? Oh, they hated him in the southeast. He was not over by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I loved his promo here. I loved the joke. The twenty, I'm twenty nine. Um, I loved him calling the interviewer, who we still don't know who that is, but he called him little man the whole time, <laughs> uh, which I thought was nice. Um, and I wanted to kind of speak to Hogan's character a little bit here. Yeah. I don't know if you can shed some light on it, but yeah, yeah. they're calling him Hollywood Hogan. He's got the boa. He's kind of got the heel beard that he would have had in the NWO. Yeah. But of course, his, his presentation is very clearly like the 80s immortal Hulk Hogan. Very um, much so. So I'm, I'm just wondering what they're going for here with that. I think I think it's as simple as like, OK, here here's the cooler Hulk Hogan you're familiar with. Like we're like this isn't the '80s one where he's about to go, you know, face earthquake. Like this is the guy who you saw wrestling four years ago in WCW. I think it's as simple as that. They think of Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan, as the modern Hulk Hogan, not the heel Hulk Hogan. Ah, good point. I see that. Okay, that is the vibe that I get from it. Um, but I think it's a very valid point because it's like, yeah, he does have, he has all the visual accompaniment of that, 100. Um, he, I like it because at one point he says to the interviewer, he says, "You sit here and ask me." Uh, and he says that of an interview who is very clearly standing up next to him. So I don't know why he said he's, you sit there and ask me. Um, so, yeah, now we go into Brock Lesnar versus Hulk Hogan. I got to ask, do you think this could have been a pay-per-view main event? Like, instead of, like, let's, like <clears throat> let's get rid of one of those Undertaker matches, like, in September. Like, why don't we just build to this for September? I agree. I think the, this was a great build. I had a big match feel coming into this. Like, this is a, a true main event. I definitely think this could have been pay-per-view quality. Yeah, so the uh, they're doing commentary. Now, Hogan comes out, and I think we're going to hear a lot of this from people who watch this show, is Hulk Hogan's fake theme. Because, obviously, his, his mm. uh, you may or may not know this, actually, but Hulk Hogan, during this time, he came out to Jimi Hendrix's Voodoo Child. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so they don't want to pay for that because I'm sure that's prohibitively expensive for the for the network. So they just do like a, like kind of like an approximation of it. Like it's obviously it's it's definitely supposed to sound like it. I probably because if they use some audio, like if you catch some errant guitar in there, then it's like oh no, like you can cover it up with the, with the other song. Um, but it's also they have to do the thing where they, they actually cut the commentary out too. Like the second half of his theme is just silence. Just you just watch him come out. Mm. I have a lot like, to say about this actually. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought it was terrible. It was terrible. And yeah. This is an, an issue with the network, especially with W.O. Hogan in that he comes out to Voodoo Child. He doesn't come out to the N.W.O. music. And it kind of kills his his whole entrance when you hear him come out to the N.W.O. music because you're not playing air guitar to the N.W.O. theme. It makes no sense. No. Um, and in this case, it was really bad because what was that theme? Why wouldn't they just play Real American? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's, a, it's such a good question. Like... I, 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 you know what? I'm gonna have to go right back to the the well I just dug, which is I think it's supposed to be like, oh, modern Hulk Hogan doesn't do real American. He does this cool like, guitar-y sort of thing. But I mean, like, it's just, I he the theme was cool when it was Voodoo Child because it's like brown, but down brown, like I mean, obviously, I think one of the problems is that it's a theme that's trying to ape Jimi Hendrix, and if you try to be like Jimi Hendrix and you're not him, you just you sound like less than fifty percent quality of Jimi Hendrix. Like you're just not good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it especially sticks out. It's like it's really bad. Uh, and then Brock Lesnar comes out. I miss twenty-five-year-old Brock Lesnar. Like, imagine if his first run was like five or six years instead of like what it was. Oh, would have been incredible. Yeah, I mean, he great. would. He would be incredibly hurt and probably addicted to painkillers by the end of it. But damn, he was so good. Um, so we start the match. Brock pushes Hogan over, and Brock, Hogan looks around. He's shocked. And yeah, so Brock kind of mostly dominates. Hogan gets upper hand and. He looks kind of shocked and angry from the outside. You know, Brock's kind of worked up about that. And then uh, Paul Heyman uh, distracts the referee, and then uh, Brock kind of drops Hogan on the, and he drags him towards the ring post, and he hits a low blow or two. Essentially, he hits two low blows on him there, um, which is like I don't know, almost borderline. Like, can you not do that? Like, you're if you're not punching him in the crotch, like, can't you just can't you rob him on the ring post? I don't know. I think it's I think that's kind of yeah. A, I think so. I think it should be fine. They made it seem like it would be a disqualification, but it was fine. Uh, and then so Brock, oh man, I love this part. He hits these really big exaggerated elbows on Hogan, but he just like, he's like, lo- like, like he gets, he rolls one up and then he drops it and he pops up and then he kind of st- extends the arm again and he just drops it. And it looks like it would really hurt. Yeah. You know, what's funny. I called that O2 two in my notes, like, especially since Hogan had done multiple elbow drops earlier in the match. And I find there to be a big contrast between these two in terms of yeah. Brock's offense is so immediate, so quick. So just, just. But Hogan's is like that slow, methodical kind of '80s style. So I love that that contrast in this match. Yeah, and you you really see it in that move, absolutely. Uh, and then Brock goads the fans. Such a good heel move. I don't know if people do that enough now. Like I just love the idea of being like, yeah, hey, bring it on. You hate me? I'm beating up Hogan. Good. I like that. And then Brock does something that is unusual, especially knowing what happens later on, which is he goes to clear off the announce table. And I remember at this point, I was like, is he gonna mm. like put? Hogan threw an announce table on SmackDown, uh, but Hogan counters. He put he brings Brock, Brock back into the ring, uh, and I, as I recall, he doesn't break the announce table, right? Like it just nothing else happens no. with it. No. Yeah, I was I was positive something was going to happen, but they just didn't do it, which is I guess fair. You can do that sometimes. You can tease it, and then when it actually goes through the announce table, it's fine. Um, and so uh, Hogan Hogan punches Brock in the corner, but he doesn't. He does the very obvious. Uh, I'm going to get power bombed punches, 
mm-hmm. which is which is you're you're always like the arms of the guy are underneath your legs when you punch them, and it's like no no you're you're about to get punched. And Brock gets him with this really great power bomb from there. He just like walks out and drops him. And it's funny yeah, to me to see that was huge. You see Hogan actually like take a huge bump like that. You're like oh wow okay, he was he was getting paid. He was doing this. He's making it happen. And so um, Hogan hits uh, the big boot. But then Brock pops up before the leg drop. Obviously, it's the big boot and the leg drop's a combo, but he, he pops up, he gets it. Uh, it goes for an F5. That gets countered. The big boot and leg drop hit, but then Brock aggressively kicks out at two, which I enjoyed. It's like a very emphatic, no, you're not going to beat me that way. But then Hogan just keeps the attack coming. He, he, he keeps going. He uh, he attempts another leg drop, but then uh, Heyman grabs his leg. And then Brock hits an F5, but he just kind of like wanders around, not covering Hogan. And I just like... I presume he just didn't want to like they didn't want to have either Hogan kick out or him just job that way. Obviously, they want the end and end they did, but it's like very obvious when he did that. It's like okay, we're gonna have a different kind of ending to this match. And then Brock looks on this bear hug, and then suddenly I, it's I'm back in my ba- my my childhood basement in August 2002 because I remember this very clearly. This is part of the match that I'm like, oh yeah, like I like this is very very reminiscent of me of like me watching this time. And so Hogan is he's in a bear hug from Brock. Hogan starts bleeding from his mouth. I put bleeding in quotes. It's pretty obvious he's biting, I don't know, like a little condom. Yeah, a capsule or something. Very, very, uh, very Ken Shamrock-esque kind of Oh, damage. I love that you brought up Ken Shamrock. Well, that was a huge thing for him in 99. Always with the internal bleeding. He's always doing the internal bleeding. And like, so Brock, I, and I got to point out with the, with the bear hug, Brock did a few different submissions throughout the years. Like he would try the, he did the bear hug. He did, um, what was it? Stretch muffler is what it's called. But it's like essentially you do a Boston, like a single leg Boston crab. You like jam the leg over your head, yeah. which is kind of, which he would do later, especially to these smaller guys. Cause he did it to like Ray Mysterio. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's really just ripping that guy in half, which is cool. Um, and so Hogan proceeds to lose by his arm drops three times, which you don't see that much. It's not Hogan doesn't. F- I I I I remembered it very differently, which was I thought he like I don't know they dropped three times and then he he rallied, but then he just stayed in the bear hug and then he lost that way. But he doesn't. He just just dropped three times and that's it. And then Brock keeps the bear hug locked on a bit longer, and then he uh, he he goes up the ramp and then he kind of reconsiders. Brock does and he and he goes back and he to ringside. He grabs a steel chair, and I, I was watching it and he banks it on the mat. And in banging on the mats, like, I don't know, to, like, load it up, he bends it even then. Like, he's got so much force that he's already bending a steel chair, not around Hulk Hogan, but just, like, on the mat, which I thought was pretty cool. And then Brock hits this big old unprotected chair shot on Hogan. Oh, I loved it. Yes. <laughs> this is... Laid it in. <laughs> this is, I, I mean, if you don't watch modern wrestling, like, these kind of chair shots are, like, you would never do them. You couldn't even do it once a year now. Like, it's so, because of concussions, people are so conscious of that, which I think is fair. Like, it's not, like, I'm not, like, oh, man, I wish these were back. But when you watch old wrestling, it could not stick out more when guys just, like, turn around and just get crushed in the head with chair shots. And I and have so, to respect Hogan here in this oh, match. Yes. Because he really, he didn't just job here. He jobbed hard. Yes. He was really just murdered in this match. And that's not something that Hulk Hogan typically is okay with doing in any way, shape, or form. So, um, you know, credit to Hogan for finally doing it. Absolutely. Yeah, this is like pretty almost like, hey, here's why you're going to be. And he's not on SummerSlam or anything either. Like, it kind of writes him off for a while. If I ever recall, hey, maybe he'll show up next week and I'll totally eat my words. But I feel like we're not going to see Hogan for a while after this. Um, and so after this unprotected chair shot, the camera pulls back. And it's kind of, and for a second I was like, huh, it's weird they're like pulling back. And of course, it's because Hulk Hogan has bladed. We've got color on SmackDown. 
and that's hilarious to me that they would blade on SmackDown and they don't even blade at WrestleMania now. No. And Hogan is the classic. I'm going to bleed some more face, which a triple. I always think a triple H when he does that, where you kind of like scrunch your, your chin into your neck and then go like, to like try to draw more blood out of your forehead. And so, uh, Heyman says, yeah, sorry. What's interesting about that, Matt, is that, um, I was speaking to the, to the girl I'm seeing and she was asking me about like, Oh, what, what was the, like main event of the show you watched. I was like, oh, it was Brock versus Hulk Hogan. He's like, oh, cool, who won? I was like, oh, Brock won, and he like he he spread Hogan's blood all over him. It was great. She's like, that's absolutely disgusting. How could they be allowed to do that? And it's like, <laughs> as a wrestling fan, you're just like, oh, well, they just you know cut themselves in the forehead with a razor blade. It's fine. It's part of the match. But like, if you look at it from an outside perspective, it's like. What is this? What are they doing here? Yeah, it's it's self mutilation, and we're just like, yeah, it's good. It makes the show uh, makes the show better. Now, in all fairness, like Brock Lesnar spreading his blood on his chest is like that is kind of gross. It's kind of the point of it. Um, but it's funny in the context of like, oh, we we accept one thing, blading, but we or like the idea of spreading is like, ah, oh, that's gross specifically. Yeah, so um, cool. so, so Paul, <laughs> I love that. Paul Heyman tells Brock Lesnar that uh, you know you've done enough. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so Brock comes back. Like we said, he, he smears uh, Hogan's blood over his chest, which looks cool. It's kind of this very kind of warrior-esque kind of thing to do, right? Like you're like on the battlefield, like killed this guy. And then um, and I noticed that uh, Hogan, he kind of rubs his hair to get more blood in it. Like he doesn't do it subtly, but like essentially he's like he's trying to make his hair red, uh, which is funny because the show lasts another 10 seconds. Brock raises his arms and then uh, is victory as the show ends. Did you have any other thoughts on that main event there, Brian? Um, I have lots of thoughts. I thought it was just, it was a great main event feel. And I think you're right. It should have been on a pay-per-view. Um, at the end of the match, the crowd was chanting Rocky, Rocky, like huge. So this rock versus Brock SummerSlam main event is off to the races. People want Um, it. People want it. They want it. I thought this was incredible because like Hulk Hogan does not lose like this in his, in his career very rarely. And to have Brock just completely demolish him like this coming back in the ring three times, killing him with the chair, blading him. I personally loved the spreading the blood on his chest spot because I don't know if that was planned, but I've never seen that done before. And for good reason. It is kind of disgusting. Uh, But for Brock's character at that point, it's just a killer. Like, he killed the biggest baby face star, maybe in wrestling history, and he killed him dead, as emphatic as you could. I thought it was just incredible for Brock's character. to this, This whole thing, I loved the whole match. It helps him huge, especially especially the Rock part of it, because I think that there's kind of the Rock Hogan as kind of like buddies who respect each other after WrestleMania match is a thing. I know, I mean, they literally tag team but together the week before, so that's the whole part of it. And I remember, like, I think they make a lot of hay out of the Brock Lesnar killed Hulk Hogan as like part of like uh, various video packages they would do for matches. Like that image of him spreading his, the blood on his chest is like it's used a lot, and so at least they get a lot of juice out of it. I mean, I mean. It's it's a visual medium, right? Like ultimately, like if you watch, if you listen to a wrestling match, you'd be like, ah, it's not really anything. But like you see, when you can see what's actually happening, uh, that's the stuff that, like that lingers with you. And so like I just remember like slow motion and black and white of Brock spreading Hogan's blood on his chest is like, yeah, they use that a lot. They they make a lot of hay out of it, which is good. And what I liked about this is that obviously SmackDown at this point is kind of a work rate show. That's what yeah. it's known for. You know, this is a SmackDown Six podcast. You're going to talk about a lot of incredible tactical matches as you go along. But this was like an old school, you know, main event, two big guys. It wasn't an incredible match by any standards, but just the atmosphere and the, the booking and the 
finish. This was just this was great pro wrestling for me. This whole segment, I loved it. Yeah, it, it was. It really was like it's always crazy when like everybody likes different things in wrestling, right? And and you're like when you watch a show that has some of the stuff that you love in it, like the work rate, like you said. It's really satisfying. You're like, yeah, I love it. Fastball over the plate. You're, I'm hitting it. I love it. But then you can get like this off-speed pitch. And, you know, sometimes it's like maybe it's the reverse for people where they grew up in more of an 80s style, kind of the the more cartoony sort of wrestling. And then all of a sudden you see like a really good technical match and you're like, oh, wow, that was like a really compelling thing. Or maybe you see maybe more, it's maybe more modern. You see a match that's got a little bit more MMA-inspired things. There's more takedowns. There's kind of more jujitsu or something like that in it. Like... When something hits you and it's different from what you always like, it's really satisfying. It's really fun to like have those moments. And so I totally agree where it's like it, there's there's this, this classic WWE main event style match at the end of a show that has, you know, quite a gr- lot of good technical wrestling, especially the Devon um, Rikishi. No, it wasn't Devon Rikishi. It was Devon Mark Henry. What a memorable Devon match Mark- that was. Tremendous. Tremendous match. Yeah. So something we did last week. Uh, which I wasn't going to do, but I, we're, I think we're going to do going forward here is I want to get your final thoughts on the show, but I want to use the uh, the SmackDown video game names as a way of rating these. So just just for context here, if you were a wrestling fan in uh, this period of time, obviously the all-time GOAT wrestling game is WWE No Mercy 64, came out in the year 2000. There's never been a game close to it, except for the games that obviously just preceded it, like WrestleMania 2000 or Virtual Pro Wrestling 2. That is the undisputed goat. At the same time, um, on PlayStation, they were making these SmackDown games. They were, I don't know, they were called SmackDown for some reason. I think they ended up doing a raw game for Xbox. But the SmackDown games had a bunch of different titles. And so, what I want you to do, Brian, is I'll, I'll get I'll kind of explain how these ratings work. But I need you to decide: is this is this a just bring it, which means this show is great, I want more of it? Is it a shut your mouth, like you don't really care about it, you're going to shut your mouth about it? Or is this a here comes the pain, where like this match, this show sucked, <laughs> and this is a lot of pain here? So. Which of those is it? Just bring it, shut your mouth, or is it a here comes the pain kind of night here? What's your final thoughts on the show? Well, given those three choices, I think it's got to be a just bring it. I mean, given yeah. that, you know, you had the classic um, WWE uh, big fight feel main event, Rock and Hogan, which I don't think happened after that. I don't, to my knowledge, there was no rematch. There was no anything else. This is a real gem to have that main event. Yeah, uh, and then also yeah. to have the six-man tag match that we had. I know that's that's kind of commonplace for SmackDown to have those guys in matches together, but uh, for myself to watch this as a standalone, I was just blown away by that particular match. And also to have you know Angle Cena a couple of years before that really meant a lot, right? Um, but it was a great match. Um, those. Yeah, sorry, I might have lost you there. I don't know. Do this, Brian. Or I could uh, take or leave. Um, and certainly the Devon <laughs> Mark Henry match, I could take or leave. And the uh, the mixed tag wasn't great. Uh, but for those big three matches, I'd have to unquestionably just bring it in my in my mind. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's good too. I think I I like the show. I think it's just bring it as well. Uh, for the, for those reasons, I think you know, I largely agree with you on the quality of the show. Um, I think I'm I'm really gonna like a SmackDown where we think one thing is great, and, and I think and maybe I think that something's great, and you think something's terrible. I think that'd be very interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean, the six man tag, I was always gonna like that. That's fine. Like short of them not getting enough time, which I think they kind of did. But uh, and yeah, I mean, I think part of it too is it's really satisfying to see the ascendancy of Brock Lesnar or the ascendance. I don't know what the right word is for that, but like to see him kind of become a more complete version of himself in front of our very eyes is like, it's pretty cool, especially because I like when Brock Lesnar is a main eventer on the show. Um, 
I like that you can see SummerSlam starting to take form a little bit. Obviously, they've done a really good job uh, so far with the Brock and Rock build. And to see kind of the the Rey Mysterio angle match is also coming to the forefront, which is which is good. Um, yeah, and it's also interesting just to see, like, I don't know that they had plans for the SmackDown 6 yet at this point, like, per se. Like, obviously, they like the guys, but, like, I'm not seeing a defined like okay these six guys are going to be we're just going to do the show around them like obviously they care about the whole future of smackdown thing but they did they didn't they haven't really thought about the uh divide them into you know three to equal tag teams and just have them wrestle each other for eternity which is interesting i don't know i, I wonder kind of what is the catalyst for that to happen what bring you know wh- why do they bring chava more to the forefront why does that kind of break down the way it does i don't know i don't know if it was a plan or not um but yes the show is a just bring it absolutely and so, yeah, so that was it for the show. So next week's show is going to be the August 15th, 2002 episode of SmackDown. That's episode 157. So you can join us for that again next week. Feel free to watch along on your WWE network. Brian, any any final words on our show before we go out? I know you, you had a nice little conclusion there. But uh, any other thoughts on the SmackDown 6? You're going to come back on uh, probably pretty soon, I would imagine. Well, I look forward to that. I mean, I enjoyed the show. Um, it, was ter- it was a terrific show. I really... Um... I enjoyed the whole thing. Even the bad stuff was enjoyable for me, um, but that Brock Hogan stuff that was that was tremendous. I really really enjoyed it, and I appreciated you having me on, Matt. It was great to uh, to talk about some, uh, you know, take us back to the time machine of the summer of two thousand two. Yeah, I love it. Thank th- thanks for being here too. And I think something I thought about last week, and I'll and I'll, I'll kind of close with this thought is when I'm watching these shows, and I didn't realize I would think this, but I'm watching it and I'm thinking, okay, does this show make me want to watch the show again next week? which I think is obviously kind of a sign of a successful show and what they should be going for. And I mean, last week I remember being like, Oh yeah, I hundred percent. I would watch this. And I think the same thing. I think this week, like I would be like, yeah, I'm interested in this. I don't know if there's any storylines that are like big mysteries, but like I, this makes me want to watch again next week. And so I'll be, I'll be interested if somewhere along this journey, I go, ah, this is not making me want to watch again next week. There's off shows and things like that, but I think so far so good. I would agree. I'm, I'm going to watch the show next week. Obviously I won't be beyond the show next week to talk about it. I'll watch it. I want to see what's. Uh, I want to see what the follow up is or the fallout is for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll have you back quite soon. So we'll, we'll, who knows? Probably not next week. Exactly. But we'll give you we'll give you a week to just enjoy SmackDown on its own without without the notes. Exactly. Just... But that says a lot. I mean, just there's so much to watch on the network. Um, this show has sold me on you know watching the rest of the SummerSlam build. I'm excited for it. I love it. I love it. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for everybody listening. I hope you will join us again next week here on the SmackDown 6 podcast. We will see you then.